0: Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and local infertility sleuth coming at you from the Bay Area, Millie Brooks. Hello, everybody. This is episode 69 go wow wow. And today we are going to talk with the amazing Kelsey Wallace about her embryo adoption story. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Well, thank you for having
1: me, Millie. You are popping my podcast, Terry. Oh, I have this is the first time ever doing it. So I'm, I'm excited and nervous.
0: <laughs> I am so honored. And I had no idea this was going to be episode 69 it's just all coming it's all coming together meant
1: to be meant to be
0: how are you doing like what do your COVID days and corona nights look like right now
1: oh my gosh I think well I'm doing okay just like everyone else um we're doing the best that we can over here very much just sitting down not doing anything. We've started a couple of different projects here in the house. We, our master bathroom's been completely gutted for about six months now, so I'd like to get that completed. But um, it's funny, when you sit inside, you realize how many things you want to change in your home.
0: Yes, this feels like the year of home projects. Yes, it does. <laughs> <That's the> perfect <laughs> way to put it. You know, that's just a positive spin on all this I know. shit show. But, yeah. yeah.
1: How are you doing? doing?
0: Stuff, uh, you know, same. We're we're checking some things off the list, doing some painting. We wanted to redo our bathroom, but our HOA, we live in a co-op mm. um, in our neighborhood. So they kind of put the kibosh on any major renovation renovations right now because of COVID. So that's, you know, sticks in my craw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing what we can, you know? Good. Um, Well, let's start with a small intro for listeners who aren't familiar with you. Sure. Tell us who you are, where you live, and what's your background.
1: Yeah. So... Um, my name is Kelsey Wallace. My husband and I live in a small town across the water by ferry from Seattle in Washington State. Um, we both grew up here our whole lives. I was born in Oregon and then moved here. My my mom still lives in the house I grew up in. Um, uh, but yeah, and then we both work for the government here in our nuclear naval shipyard.
0: Wow,
1: the government. The, the like, government. that is so mysterious. <laughs> can't tell you what I do, Millie. I can't tell you what I do.
0: Okay, yeah. Don't tell the public. Don't tell the <laughs> public. It's fine. Um, I will say that I love watching your Instagram stories when you go over the bridge. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm just like, oh, here we go. We're going over the bridge. We're going, we're going somewhere today. Where's that she going? So I'm going with her. I
1: love it. I love it. I always film going over that bridge, and Spencer always makes fun of me. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into your journey. Why don't you start with when you and Spencer started talking about having children?
1: Yeah. So, Spencer and I met. And one of the first things I actually told him when we met was, I think it's going to be hard for me to get pregnant one day. And it's just something that I've always felt in my gut. And this is without even having a diagnosis of anything, it's just something I always. Thought because I never well, I'll back up even further. I got on birth control to start a period when I was younger because I never had a cycle. And so I always felt like something was definitely wrong, definitely off. And then um a little while after Spencer and I were dating, and then once we started trying, I always really started diving into a bunch of different podcasts to really try and educate myself and try and figure out, like, self-diagnose. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I'm, like, the master at (laughs) self-diagnosing. And, um, yeah, so we just started from there. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to go into a little bit of... uh...
0: Yeah, like, so I have a question. You Mm -hmm. never got a period. Nope. So how old were you when you realized you needed to go see somebody and go on birth control?
1: So... I was about 17. And I think before that, I maybe, gosh, had a handful of cycles. It was very, very, very rare. Um, And I went and saw a doctor, and they're like, well, we kind of recommend that you get on birth control and try to regulate. And, you know, if you're in this community and you've been trying, you kind of understand that birth control works as a band aid for a lot of things, AKA PCOS, which I was later diagnosed with. So.
0: Got it. Got it. And so did the, um, did going on birth control help? It did. It definitely regulated me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. And so when you guys started trying, I assume how long did you try naturally?
1: Yeah. So we saw my OB and, um, she's like, you know, just relax, have fun. Don't stress. Don't think about it. She all the things that you don't, well, at first, you don't really know that you don't want to hear these things. You're like, oh, okay, sounds great. Um, and she said, come back in a year if you don't get pregnant. And it was about six months. And I went back and I said, can we just try this thing called Clomid or Letrozole or something? Like, I, because I kept hearing it on podcasts that I was listening to. I'm like, I'm going to try that. I think I should try that. And she's like, no, you need to just keep trying for another six months. And so I um, self, I just advocated for myself, and I went to an RE on my own.
0: Good for you. Thanks. Good for you. You know, and that's that's the other thing. Like, listening to podcasts, we're not doctors. We're just people with a lot of experience. Right. But you can bring that to the table with the doctors. And I think that can be so valuable.
1: Oh, totally. A hundred percent.
0: So you went to the RE at about six months Mm -hmm. and what happened after that?
1: Yeah. So, um, he, it was my first RE and it was, I went in, um, we did the normal blood work testing and he, you know, of course they give you, it was so much hope. My first appointment, because he's like, I'm going to have you pregnant in six months at the most. You're young. Yeah. He he was very confident. He was a younger RE. He just, he felt like um, all I needed was a little letrozole boost and we would be good to go. Um, That's bold. Very bold. <laughs> very bold. And I didn't realize it at the time. I left there like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is all I needed to do. This is going to be so great. So frustrating looking back at that now.
0: So you you did a month of letrozole?
1: Yeah. So um We ended up doing six rounds of letrozole, and I think on the fourth or fifth round, we ended up doing an ultrasound, and then he diagnosed me with PCOS because I had the quote-unquote string of pearls on my ovaries. Um, I don't have any of the other PCOS symptoms. String of pearls? Yeah, I know. What? I know. Usually that's like a sexual term, you know, like, Oh, you know, nice <laughs> pearl necklace. You got there. It's definitely not the one you want in your ovary. It's not sexy <laughs> at all.
0: You do not want your ovaries wearing pearls. <laughs> um, okay. I've never heard PCOS described that way. Oh really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're, you're opening my mind. This is great. Um, um, Okay. So six rounds of letrozole, any IUIs?
1: Yeah. So after six rounds of letrozole, which, um, never, I never really had any follicle growth from any of the rounds. And, um, I ended up sitting down with the RE and saying, Hey, let's try something else. This is obviously not working. And he wouldn't do something else. So I left, I found a a new RE in Seattle Um, And where we ended up doing three different IUIs there.
0: Got it. And um, so right now you're still... The diagnosis that has been thrown around is PCOS. Anything else? That's it.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we... I thought it was weird. I knew it had to have been PCOS was doing something to my egg quality is all that I kept thinking about because even in all of my IUIs, it was my last IUI. I had one follicle that that was bigger than a 20. That was the only time that's ever, I've ever gotten that kind of result. Um, so yeah, just PCOS was my diagnosis and it was a hard one because all I have are the symptoms that I can't see Um, and actually hoping like, okay, is that actually what I have? Like, you know, you just start doubting everything at that point, but yeah.
0: And so at that point you moved to IVF Mm -hmm. and um, you did two rounds of IVF. Is that correct?
1: Right. So um, after my third IUI, I asked my RE in Seattle um, if we can go, move on to IVF and what his recommendations were. And while I was doing all these IUIs, I never saw my doctor after my first initial consultation, not for any of my IUIs, not for any of the the follow ups. nothing, never saw him again. So when I did this sit down with him about moving forward, he just wanted to do another IUI. And at this point I was like, I'm just throwing my money and there's, I don't even feel seen or like, are you even listening to me? Like, you don't even know what's going on. I haven't seen you. So I left again, (laughs) found a new RE. (laughs) So this is the third one. Yeah. Third time's a charm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I ended up um, moving to a clinic in Kirkland, Washington, which is about a two hour round trip for me. Um, Ferry rides and another hour drive to get there, which is a pain in the arse if you're doing IVF or any fertility treatments. Um, But totally worth it for the bedside manner and the the care I received there.
0: I totally agree. I've switched clinics a couple of different times. And the woman that I ended up actually going with was the furthest away, you know? And like, I was really kind of basing my selection off of the distance of my house to the clinic, you know? And that's, uh, not a great factor. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. And it's so hard too. and it's just so easy. Cause like our first clinic was only 30 minutes away and that was a breeze. It was just going over that bridge, Millie. It was just going over that bridge. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So you did two rounds of IVF. Um, tell us about those rounds.
1: Yeah. So the first round of IVF was interesting um, everything was going great. I had awesome numbers. Um, I had 50 follicles growing on each ovary. Whoa! Uh-huh. A whole heck of a lot of follicles.
0: 50 on each. You had a hundred eggs mm-hmm. or
1: follicles. It was it was insane. And I could see my ovaries touching in the ultrasound. It was, it was very uncomfortable, but I was like, this is working. Um And two days before my retrieval, I went in to get a blood, a blood draw to check my estrogen and my progesterone levels, um, like we do. And, um, when I left there, I got a phone call from my RE and his tone of his voice. I was just like, what is, first of all, they they never called me after those blood draws, you know, why would they call me unless maybe my appointment needed to change for my retrieval and he was like, Kelsey, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to cancel your retrieval um, for tomorrow because your estrogen just plummeted out of nowhere. I don't know what's going on. Are you doing your injection, injections incorrectly or, you know, how are you in doing all these things? And um, we went over everything I'm doing, how much medication I'm using. I I was doing everything correct on my end, but my estrogen just went it plummeted. It went gone completely, like from like 2000 something to like, gosh, I, I want to say it was so low, like 20. It was insane. So I lost all the follicles. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were robbed. Like, oh. what ha- Like, what Literally. happened? Literally, there was a lot of money down the drain. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did they ever find a reason? Nope. And he's baffled. He said, um, this is only the second time he's ever witnessed something like this in his whole practice in, of doing this for so many years. He's been doing it, and um, that was heartbreaking, and we were right there. We were right there, right before tr- retrieval, so that was just uh, uh, awful. That's
0: gut-wrenching. Yeah.
1: hmm
0: Wow. Um, okay, so you decided to do round two. Talk to
1: us about round two. Yep. So we sat down with my doctor and he's like, okay, well, we're obviously going to have to be more aggressive with your estrogen. And so I ended up doing um, estrogen patches and for the entire time. So I can't remember exactly how much medication I was using or whatever, but we I was strictly on estrogen patches to ensure that it would not drop at all. Um, we ended up retrieving 24 eggs, 10 matured. We ended up with, oh, sorry, wait. Yeah, 10 matured, three fertilized, and then we only ended up with one day six embryo from that second round of IVF.
0: Okay. And did you do any genetic testing?
1: No. I asked the doctor if he would recommend that because it was a day six. You know, what was his thoughts? And he's like, you know, because it was a day six, it took a little bit longer for it to get there. I, he did not think that it would, it would survive a thawing and then a refreeze and then a rethaw for a transfer. So we just, we just never touched it. So you transferred that one. Yeah, and that was – we transferred back in 2019, and that transfer failed in October of 2019.
0: Now, is this where you pivoted the conversation with Spencer? Uh Uh-huh. Talk to us about that conversation. Did you ever discuss donor eggs or donor sperm, you know, like um, before – discussing embryo adoption?
1: Yeah, we were, we were so taken aback that we only ended up with that one when, you know, I was, it was such a promising number I had where each time I had, you know, 50 follicles, a hundred follicles, like some, so many growing. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be great. And then we ended up with one, which was a poor quality and a lot of money down the drain. And so we were stuck on these crossroads where Adoption's always been something that's been on our mind and always been on our heart. And so we're like, well, maybe we'll pursue domestic adoption here. Um, Or maybe we'll just pursue um, egg donation uh, because it's obviously my egg quality at this point, um, which ended up we had our WTF appointment with our doctor and he was very much like, your egg quality is very poor. I don't recommend doing IVF again. It was very straightforward. I'm really thankful for that because he wasn't just trying to get my money from me, which is so important. Um, and I ended up writing a post about that, saying I just don't know what we're going to do next. And that is when our embryo donor reached out to me. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful though, so awesome.
0: because like you put you put it out into the world. And the universe responded, you know, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, okay. So that kind of answers my next, my next question, um, of how you found the embryos. Yeah. So you
1: found them through Instagram.
0: Yes. Through the infertility community.
1: Correct. Yeah. Um, it's such a great platform and great space and um you I've made so many connections on Instagram um Erin our donor messaged me in October about a week or two after our failed transfer and she's like hey this seems crazy but I have four remaining embryos I'd love to donate to you guys you know think about it you're not, we're not in any rush I haven't offered it to anybody else like but she just felt she was called to reach out to us and to donate, which is the most selfless, beautiful thing anyone could ever do. It's crazy.
0: So, embryo adoption wasn't even maybe on the forefront of your brain until Aaron reached out.
1: A hundred percent. Um, I didn't even really know about embryo adoption at that point. Um, I was so I, at all really, I kind of heard about it, but I didn't really know too much about it. I didn't know anything. Um, and so when she reached out, I talked to Spencer, and I was like, okay, well, we've always wanted to adopt, right? This is a form of adoption. I still get to experience pregnancy. Like, this this is something, you know, it's not our genetics, which is fine, because the ultimate goal here is to become parents. And um, And I've always, you know, I've always wanted to experience pregnancy. And this is a way that we could, one, do a form of adoption, two, I can carry the child. And, um, so it was almost a no brainer. I, I felt peace for like the first time moving forward within like a cycle, which is crazy.
0: Wow. So it was just like, this is a no brainer for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what did that
1: process look like? So that was a hard to figure out because <laughs> I was, um, Because we weren't using an agency, we didn't go through anything like that. I had to kind of navigate all of those obstacles on my own. And um, to kind of summarize it all, I had to find an attorney to do legal documentation, a legal contract of possession, ownership of the embryos. It's almost like, hey, you own your car, and I'm going to write a contract now to own and get legal possession of that vehicle it's literally so straightforward like that. There's no home study. There's no nothing like that, which I was expecting it would be kind of something like that. Um, but not at all. So once we got the, um, I went through a a legal attorney's office out of Seattle. We did everything by email, which was super nice. I didn't have to go over there. Um, and she's actually written a bunch of these contracts before. so she sh- she pretty much knew how to do everything, which I was very thankful for. And I've sent a couple people now on Instagram who have reached out her way because she just kind of helped. Is she like a fertility lawyer? She's a surrogate a surrogacy lawyer and an <sighs> adoption lawyer, but has done embryo adoption. So she knew what the heck she was doing. I was like, thank God because I, I was so blind at that point of moving forward with anything. So, um, once we did that, we got the contract signed, you send it off. So Aaron and her husband had to sign it, get it notarized. We had to sign it, get it notarized. Once that done, then they're yours. So at that point there, the embryos were all located in St. Louis and we're here in Seattle. So I had to pay them to get transferred across the U S Which I think is going to be a really cool story to tell crew one day.
0: Oh, I love it! His first road trip.
1: I know. During a global pandemic, (laughs) it was frozen. Um, So once we transferred him to Seattle, then we just started the FET process like it was our our normal frozen embryo. Like nothing was different. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so that brings me to my next question, which was the transfer protocol. Mm-hmm. Your transfer protocol did not um, differ from the other
1: transfer that you had? Oh, good question. So um, with, with these adopted embryos, um, the, your clinic has to talk to the clinic they're receiving them from to get the thawing protocol. Because every clinic does something different depending on the quality of the embryos and how they thought or how they froze them and everything else like that. So once my clinic received the thawing protocol, we were able able to sit down and move forward with the FET of um, this last transfer. I was on um, estrogen injections intermuscularly in my arm, and that was one thing we did majorly different. Um, And I was also on Lupron for about a month and a half, which I wasn't on Lupron, the one before. So that was a little bit different.
0: What was the
1: reason for the Lupron? I have no idea. (laughs) 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 Totally honest. Zero idea why I was on Lupron. Um, You know, there's a lot of um, women who are on Lupron and I can kind of see different reasons why they're on Lupron or whatever and hear their stories. But I, uh, I have no idea if my doctor was just kind of like, well, let's try this and see if it works. I mean, my, I've never had an issue with my lining or suppressing ovaries um, or my everything. So I don't, I'm not, I have no idea. I wish I had an answer for that. But it worked like it the worked. the bean stuck. Mhm.
0: Crazy. Um and now you are currently how many weeks? 23? I'll be Yeah, I'll be 24 weeks tomorrow. Wow. Uh, December 20th. Right? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um okay, now let's get into some of the nitty gritty here. Oh, I you- like it. Can you speak a little bit about the Rogam shot mm. and how you knew you needed to get it? Because the first time I heard about it was when you talked about it. Mm. So I I really appreciated the awareness that you brought to the table around this. And I would love to hear more.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was like the first time I really heard about it too. <laughs> I started talking about it. Um You would think, so the Rogam shot you need to get if you have a negative blood type because your antibodies will attack um, anything in in your babies. Usually you don't get the Rogam shot until your second pregnancy. Um, How I didn't know or my clinic didn't know that I was a negative blood type baffles me to this day, especially after years of fertility treatments. There's zero record of my blood type anywhere. Really? Anywhere. So um I had a ton of bleeding with this pregnancy um from about six weeks until about nine weeks. And it subsided. And then I started having bleeding again around 16 weeks. And I called my OB. And I was like, I don't know really what to do. What do you suggest? Like it's it's kind of triggering. As it would be, and um, they're like, "Well, maybe you need to come in. Let's let's check your blood type." And I'm like, "Well, that's weird," because I I was so I just didn't know. And um, they're like, they call me back that same day. And they're like, "Okay, yeah, you need to come back in tomorrow, and we need to get you the shot." I don't know if I was bleeding because my body was starting to build up antibodies or trying to build up antibodies to attack the pregnancy. Um, they don't really know, but I ended up getting the shot way earlier than normal um usually on a second pregnancy you would get it at 28 weeks and i got it at 16. Um, and then you have to get it every 12 weeks since then
0: what's the reason for the second pregnancy rule
1: I have no idea um, i tried to do a lot of research on that trying to figure that out because it, it it confused me like why why would it attack my second pregnancy and my first pregnancy and i don't know if it's I, I wish I had the answer to that. I know I'm probably, I'll find, or hear, I'm sure I'll hear something after. Yeah, I
0: feel like somebody knows the answer right now and they're shouting. They him. are. <laughs> they're, they're so mad at it. They're screaming with their fists in the air. This mm-hmm. is why. Yep. That we'll probably find out after this episode is released. Totally true. And I'm excited to find out. Yeah. So are you familiar with I'm gonna mess this up. Epigenetics is that Uh, ah epigenetics. Epigenetics, and can you explain that a little bit?
1: I'm not so. I'm not super well versed in it at all. I wish I wish I knew more about it. There's not a ton of scientific facts or known things or studies out there on it. Um, The ones that I have found are pretty vague. Um, Victoria, at expecting anything on. Instagram, actually, she's um, a donor mom, donor egg mom. She talks a lot about it. Um, And the way she puts things kind of helps a little bit. But this one study I read mentioned something that um, this pregnancy not being genetically mine, and the DNA is not mine, but me carrying the child in my blood and placenta. And I don't really understand how the science works behind it, but somehow it can slow down certain DNA genetics or speed up other ones. So you could get height changes or eye color changes or dimples. So if I had dimples and our donors didn't, and our child came out with dimples, that's epigenetics or, um, Let's say I—I I mean, I'm really tall. I'm five ten, and so if crew are babies tall and our donors are not, I mean, it's there's a lots of different things. I think that all play factors like that. It's very interesting, and I want to learn so much more on that, but um, it's hard to find anything out there. Really, there's it's just not a lot out there that I can find. So, in a nutshell, it's
0: basically this theory that if you gestationally carry the embryo or you know that might not have your dna it might have some form your your genetics might influence it some way
1: yeah that's a perfect that's a great way to say that influence yep um and i don't know how strong that is if it happens every time if it's an if it's an already like it always happens or if it's a rare thing i Don't know, but it's very intriguing and interesting to me. What a
0: beautiful state to be in, though. You know, Mm -hmm. to, like, see how crew develops –
1: you know, know, it's so crazy.
0: That's just gonna be so miraculous. It's just gonna be another layer, I feel. It
1: is. And we're just like so curious to see what he looks like. Like, like, who are you gonna look like? Yes. And I, you know, our um our donors, kids, she always posts pictures and we got a Christmas card from them this year. And um I'm always like, I wonder if he's gonna look like their little boy. Or, you know, we constantly just in, in awe and wonder about it all. But it's just It's so cool. So amazing. Um, so looking down the line,
0: how will you reveal Crew's conception story to him?
1: Mm. So this is something Spencer and I talk about all the time because it's such an important thing. We are leaving this as an open donor thing. So eventually, I mean, I would love once COVID slows down and all this stuff, I Aaron or I will we plan on meeting in person. Um, and we will tell crew and our kids about them. And she plans on telling her kids about crew one day when they're old enough to kind of grasp the concept of it all. Um, I totally just spaced where we're going.
0: Yeah. We, they will tell, Aaron will tell her kids about crew.
1: Sorry. Yes. Um, so with crew, I, we plan on, I have a couple books actually, um, that have to do with embryo adoption donation. One of them is really cute. So it's like your name, they're all cookies, right? And these neighbor cookies bake cookies all the time. They have all these leftover cookies and they're so delicious. And then you have these one neighbors that are trying to bake some cookies, but their oven like just keep burning them. They don't have any cookies. So the one neighbor ends up coming over and offering her some of her leftover cookies. And then they, it's just a really cute kid's story. And it's so sweet. It's really cute. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. And so mm-hmm. when you went to the lawyer and they created this contract for you and Aaron, what, so you created an open adoption contract? Almost.
1: Yeah, I guess you can say it was like that. Um, it's very similar. It has, you know, it's basically like when we give a live birth, she can't come and take the baby. <laughs> so there is a lot of the things that are very similar to it to an adoption. Um, I don't think there's anything else really. But I just, I
0: love this idea that they're going to be part of your family, you know? Yeah. Like, that's something to me that so, feels so special.
1: So special. And they're just amazing people. I feel like if Aaron lived here, we would be best friends. We're the same person. And so it's just, it's so, it's crazy to me because it just feels so right. It's, it feels like exactly what we were meant to do this entire time. And nothing ever worked out because this is where we needed to end up. Um, and it's just, it's really it's just a very cool story. And I, am really excited to the fact that they're open to, you know, wanting to see crew grow. And I send her my ultrasound pictures when I'm done at appointments. So she's very much in the know of it all, which is fun. I really enjoy it.
0: I love it. Um, my next question is, What are the misconceptions out there about embryo adoption? And have there been any insensitive comments that have come your way since you started this part of your journey?
1: Yeah, um, nothing has came my way personally. Um, There are a lot of misconceptions about embryo adoption and donation, unfortunately. there's Obviously, I mean, I didn't really know about it when we first started. And which means that, it, and then I'm pretty well versed in a lot of fertility-related um, things, and so I, I can imagine there's a crap ton of people in this world that have no idea what the, what the, an amb, embryo even is. So um, recently, there was an article posted about the 27-year frozen embryo. Did you see that story?
0: Yes, and I'm yeah. so glad you brought this up.
1: <sighs> I was. I did something real bad and I read Facebook comments and I always tell myself never to read the comments when I'm on there and see articles because they just make my blood boil. And I read the comments like an idiot. Um, and there's people saying, you know, my, I hope this baby doesn't have frostbite. Um, you know, just the Ouch. most insensitive. Yes, the worst comments. I, and uh, it just breaks my heart because I know this beautiful little girl is going to grow up one day, find her story that's all over the internet. And she's going to read these comments and be like, what's wrong with me when there's nothing wrong with her? Um, you know, uh, people say, Oh, well, why are you playing God and freezing embryos and gifting them off? Like they're nothing or, you know, there's so many different, ignorance, lots of ignorance, a lot of, um, it's just, it's, it's sad actually. And I just, I think that's my main goal of really wanting to spread awareness and on embryo donation and adoption now, because it's just not really talked about or heard of.
0: I, I mean, I'm so grateful that you are talking about it. You know, I think people, um, it's people know IVF, but they don't know this avenue. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it it's just a beautiful way to bring people together
1: too. It is, yeah. And and it's an and it's an amazing way for someone to build a family, still be able to, you know, it people are like, well, it's super selfish of you. Why don't you just go adopt? Well. Number one, can I borrow 80 grand or more to adopt? Number two, I really want to experience pregnancy. It's something I've always wanted to experience. This is a way that I can't experience. And number three, I kind of did adopt. You know, it's not a live child, but it's still, it's still a, to me, embryos are babies. They have, a, I mean, all four of mine have a gender that's a baby to me. It's not alive yet, but Earth's side however you want to say it. How did you explain this to your family? Like how did you guys,
0: did you ever sort of let them in on that decision or um, what did those conversations look like?
1: Yeah. Um, Spencer and I actually, so funny. We've never talked to our families and asked them their opinions. We kind of just have done everything and said, this is what we're doing.
0: I love it. I love it. We've never asked for your opinion.
1: (laughs) We really haven't because it's like, they don't really know what's going on. We do. This is our journey. And we know for a fact that our parents and our families are going to support us no matter which way or whatever we end up deciding to do. Um, And so when we explain this to them. I think it took a while for them to, to really understand what was going on. Uh, especially when we're like, okay, we, we have four embryos. They're all boys. And they're like, how do you know that they're a boy? You know, <laughs> so you have to start there. You have to start with that. Uh, it's genetically not me genetically, not Spencer. And, um, I, I we got asked by our families so and how do you feel about that? You know? um, you definitely get the same comments, like, "Well, once you get pre- this pregnancy works, then you're going to get pregnant naturally because your body figures itself out." You know, you get you get all those comments that you kind of expect and you wait for, um, which you navigate on. I we've navigated through comments pretty well, I think, within our family when it comes to like that because they all just mean they don't mean anything wrong by any any of it by any means. They're all very, very thrilled for us. And, um, yeah, we didn't ask anybody their opinions. And we just said, this is what we're doing. We explained it to them and they're all so thrilled. Spencer's mom just added Aaron, her donor on Facebook and Aaron messaged me and she's like, so things are getting pretty serious. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> Yeah.
1: So it's really cute. Oh, I love it! Yeah, so it's like it's one big family all coming together now.
0: Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful. Anything you wish you knew before starting all
1: of this? Oh, that's a good question, Millie. Really. Um, a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> Besides your blood type. Oh my gosh. Oh my first of all, I, I'm kind of mad at myself. I should have known my blood type. Do you I mean, when did you find out your blood type?
0: I I honestly found found it out through one of my blood draws at one of my initial like consultations at my fertility clinic and then mm. um my OB. I had, I think I had like some really bad, I think I had some really bad flu one year and they did a CBC, which is a complete blood panel. Oh, mm -hmm. and, and that's how I found out.
1: Isn't that funny? All these years of growing up, so many doctor's appointments, you just never really get told. I don't know if it's something you have to ask. And
0: one way you can find out is if you donate blood. At the American uh, Red Cross. And that was another way that I found out about it.
1: Yep. And which is, I need to start donating money now that I'm so used to needles. But before I was like so afraid. And now I'm like, whatever, bring it on. Um,
0: yeah. So what do you wish you knew before you started all this?
1: So, and this isn't for everyone. So personally, I wish I would have known that IVF is just not a guarantee because I think starting out, you, you don't think you're ever going to end up with IVF. I'm never going to have to do IVF. Nope, not me. Um, and then when you get to the point of doing it, you're like, okay, well this is going to work because this has to work. This is so expensive. This is so invasive and, I mean, obviously, everyone gets pregnant with IVF. And so um, I I think I wish I would have been a little bit more guarded and uh, around my heart on that to just realize that this might not work for us and that we could just be out of a lot of money and a lot of heartbreak and trials trying to do it. Um, And I wish I would have just known how long this road could take <laughs> because it's been four years for us. Um, and I was originally told by that at first RE, it was going to be six months. So, yeah. Yeah. What makes your blood boil
0: about infertility?
1: Mm. Everything about it. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, truly. It's the hardest thing that anyone has to go through. Um, it's freaking unfair. It's awful. <sighs> I think that what makes me sad and mad is that how bitter it can make you. And it really changed me in a lot of ways. Um, not not so much for the better, um, which I've navigated and I've, I've gotten better at. A lot of things like, I um, think at the beginning, even like, just being so angry and bitter, seeing one pregnant woman walk by me, and at that time, um, just so my blood, so mad, so boiling at the fact that I had to deal. Why I have to deal with infertility, and we're good people, you know. It just everything about it. It's just it's so unfair, and I hate that anyone has to go through it. It's awful and so sad.
0: Any words of inspiration or wisdom um, you can offer people who might be considering embryo donation or embryo adoption?
1: Yeah, I think definitely words of wisdom. Um, Make sure that you and your husband or spouse or significant other um, are all on the same page, um, it's really important that you're on the same page. Um, and then, advice I would say just be open and follow your heart and follow your gut. There's a lot of people that have reached out to me and have, you know, how did you know that you wanted to go down this route? Or how did you know this was for you guys? And I think that I just followed my gut 100%. And scared shitless because, you know, I don't, I didn't know really how to navigate it. How are we going to navigate raising a child like this until I've done way more research now, but like at first I was scared and I just took the leap of faith. And, um, I think just follow your gut and self-advocate. I think self-advocating is so incredibly important. Um, especially if your doctor's like, wanting you to do the same thing over and over and over again, and you just know it's something is wrong.
0: do you um so you went through the process like privately. Do you know anything about going through it with an agency or with your fertility clinic? Like it must be very, very different if you go through an agency, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's very different, um, from what I've heard from the couple of people that I do know that went through an agency or their clinic, um, you have to get matched. So by that, I'm not hundred percent sure all that goes into it. I know that some clinics require a home study. I know that some clinics require you to go through therapy before you do it. Um, I know that some you can look through um, different profiles of families and read about them and they can read about you guys kind of thing and then they can match that way. Um, I I don't have a ton of information on that other than those things because we it, ours is such a unique situation but um, I do know it's it's very much like a, you have to be matched and there's a lot of preparation that comes into it as far as like therapy and things like that
0: that makes sense that Mm -hmm. makes that that gives us a little bit of a idea of the differences Mm -hmm. um well how can people follow you and your story and
1: you know watch baby crew yay yeah um I'm on Instagram at the Wallace Chronicles underscore IVF. And I post on there all the time. <laughs> so, like, it's like a bad addiction. I'm on there way too often and post way too many stories. And you were just mentioned on the Swipe Up podcast. I was so, so I was sitting at work or sitting home working. Um, I work from home part of the week and I always listen to their podcast every Tuesday. And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, and so they've started talking about this, would you rather Sunday, which is something that I do every Sunday. And they're like, yeah, her name is Kelsey. She's at the Wallace Chronicles on Instagram. And I was just like, are they talking about me? And then I start pitting out. I'm like, oh no, what are they gonna say? But it was so funny. <laughs>
0: pitting fun. out. Oh my gosh.
1: I <laughs> never
0: <laughs> Heard that term before, and Shut I'm up. going to use it forever. Pitting I started out of pitting out. <laughs> I love it.
1: When you hear anyone talk about you on anything like that, it's just like instant sweat, you know, bad. I love
0: <laughs> it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey, for taking the time out and sharing your story and Best, best, best of luck and good wishes with the rest of your pregnancy.
1: I appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be on here. Um, Everyone that I know absolutely adores and loves this podcast so much. And I love what you're doing for the community because it's truly amazing. And um, I just feel so honored to be here. So thank
0: you. Oh, thank you. All right. We'll be in touch. Yes,